0: morning and happy Mother's Day to you all. Thankful for you. Um, As Pastor Mary Elizabeth has expressed, for all those that have mothered in more than one way, we're grateful for you. Um, This morning we're continuing um, to to spend some time in the book of Revelation. We're jumping over to Revelation chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me to Revelation 7. We'll be reading verse... Verses 9 through 17, they'll be here on the screen for you as well. Uh, Before we read that together, let let us pray. Holy God, word made flesh, let us come to this word, open to being surprised. Would you silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual detachment, confound our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears, and visit the corners of our hearts with this word. We know that you can. We pray that you will, and we wait with great anticipation. Amen. Revelation 7, um, verses 9 through 17, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? (coughs) Again, beginning at verse 9, chapter 7. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, these are those who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the written word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. If you you like to follow along in scripture, uh, you might want to keep your Bibles open. We're just going to kind of come back to some of this text. And and as I've kind of been doing, as we've been in the, the book of Revelation these past three weeks is... Uh, We really got to look at the broader context, the the verses before especially, to understand this this text. And so we'll we'll be doing that a little bit. I hope that the past few weeks, uh, if you've been with us, that the book of Revelation, as we've spent some time in this book, um, I hope that you've uh, kind of gotten your interest stirred a little bit in this book. It's a fascinating book, and um, I think if you're like me, um, this 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 has been a book that over your life you've maybe tried to avoid, and hopefully this is this uh, these this, these sermons that we've been we've been doing in this book will will help kind of um, undo some of that. As I've mentioned, uh, we'll be starting on the book of Revelation on our Wednesday night classes. That's going to be June eighth. I finally got a date for you, to give you. Actually, June eighth is when we'll start doing that on Wednesdays. We're going to look more detailed at this book. Um, what we've been doing on Sundays is looking. Uh, um, at a more broad look at it, and so during the during the Easter season we 've looked at it more broadly, and then afterwards in on wednesday nights we 're going to kind of look at it more detailed and um that that again well, if you 're unable to be with us on Wednesday nights, we also have a podcast of that. You can find that on most podcast apps and If you need help finding that, just let me know so um as we look into this book even more as we move forward just a bit more into this book. I want us to begin, I'm hoping that we're beginning to recognize that this, this book, the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, is not the scary, chaotic book that many of us have been led to believe it is. Uh, just considering these verses we've just read, as well as last week's text and the week before that, and, and as we go into it next week, you'll see again. Um, in chapter 5, for instance, John shares this vision of the heavenly throne room where the Lamb the lamb who was slain is proven worthy to reveal the unfolding of history and the destiny of God's world. And in that scene, we see this throne room. And, and despite the turmoil that's about to be described just after this, despite the, the, uh, the, the tribulation, the, the great ordeal that comes afterwards, there's nothing but calm. In that throne room, nothing but worship of the Lamb. There is no one freaking out in that throne room. They know the ending. They know the end of the story, and so those surrounding the Lamb are are worshiping in in, in fashion and and in a orderly fashion, not freaking out, scrambling to find out what's going to happen. They know. That there are those seated on the throne and before the throne who will work all things out, who will rescue all of creation in their time. The triune God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is there. The revelation that John shares should spur us on in our worship particularly. Because it's those scenes of worship in the book of Revelation that reveal to us how it is we can go about living in this world as resurrection people as people who live after Jesus has been raised in the hope of resurrection. And so during the Easter season, we're, we're reminded by the book of Revelation that despite the, the Good Friday feel of this world, despite the crucifixion feel of this world, we live as resurrection people in the hope of resurrection and the knowledge of resurrection. And so we live as those people who have confidence that despite The brokenness, the tribulation in the world, all things are being made new. In our text this morning, John seems to return to that heavenly scene through a vision. And even more about God is revealed. So let's take a look at that this morning. I've talked much in this season about the baggage that I think many of us bring to this book. One scholar sums up that baggage by saying that most of us have been conditioned. They've been taught, we've we've been formed to bring the question of when to this book. When or what even? What what is this? What does it mean? When will this happen? Those are the questions that we bring. We want to know when it all will happen. We want to know what this is or that is or how it will come about in the world. Not that these are bad questions or anything. They just don't seem to be the main concern of the revelator or the characters in the vision. Truthfully, the revelator almost certainly believed that the when question was already starting to be unveiled. It was already starting. It had started with the crucifixion of Jesus. The when was that then, was right then, in that moment, and even all the way through to here. The when are these things going to happen is now. It was back then even. Much of what he sees, the revelator sees, has already actually happened or begun to happen. The question often finds its answer, and the question of what often finds its relation in, in relation to the Roman Empire What? It's so often the Roman Empire, the rulers of Rome. But again, this isn't really the Revelator's main question. This isn't the main thought that he has throughout the book. The question on the mind of John and on the lips of the characters throughout the book is who? Who? Last week we talked about who is worthy. Who is worthy to take the scroll? That's the question. Who is worthy? And so the question on the mind seems to be who throughout. Who is worthy? Is it Caesar? Is it the empire? No one is found worthy in heaven or on earth until John hears the voice of the elder in the throne room. He tells him that there is a lion. The lion of Judah is worthy. But when he turns, what he actually sees is a lamb. It's the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. Now with this discovery that someone is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, John's vision takes a turn. We're up there in the heavenly throne room where no chaos seems to be, only worship of God. But then whenever the scroll begins to be unsealed by the Lamb, some chaos starts to come into view. And so we read, we, we didn't read chapter 6, but if you're familiar with anything at all in the book of Revelation, you're most likely familiar with the events or, or what happens in chapter 6. It's in chapter 6 that we hear about the famous four horsemen of the apocalypse. In chapter 6, the Lamb begins to open those seven seals of the scroll of history. The first four turn out to be horses who have riders, and they come out. And the question of when comes to our mind, when will this happen? But again, we must ask the question of who? Who are these horsemen? Who are these riders? And so that's the question here. Who are they? That's also an intriguing question that comes to mind, and it comes to John's mind. It's not, I don't think it's so much on John's mind as the answer is. And it's because John knows that the when question can be answered easily. It's at all times that these four horsemen are coming into the world, coming forth in our world. You know, we're going to explore the meaning of those four horsemen in our study whenever we do that on Wednesday nights. But kind of to summarize, the first two horsemen that come forth represent in some form or another military might and conquest that which humans have for all times put their hope and trust in, military might, their hope for salvation and comfort. The third horse represents a catastrophe of famine and injustice that comes when those in power are only concerned with their own comfort instead of caring for the most vulnerable. The fourth horse comes up and sums. It kind of just sums up the many different experiences of death that we have in our world, destruction that are experienced by us, Disease, famine, wild animals, war, natural catastrophe, and human-made catastrophe. And then the fifth scroll is open, and we see those who have been killed for the sake of God's word crying out that justice be done and full revelation be completed. All of this, famine, war, and sickness, these are things humanity has always experienced and will continue to experience John is not so much concerned with the question of when this will take place as he is concerned with who. Who are these horsemen? And I think that should be our concern as well. Who are they? This isn't to say that we can pinpoint the exact person that John was thinking about or that the revelation was thinking about. That we can pinpoint exactly who these different horsemen are. See, when we do that, usually when we think, when we look to someone, some large person, a a, a big character in our world, and we say, oh, I think that's the, the third horseman for sure. That's the second horseman for sure coming into the world. Sometimes we go so far as to look to someone and say, oh, that's the Antichrist for sure. We like to do that. I think this is kind of dangerous, though. It's dangerous because it allows us to demonize others. It makes us susceptible to placing our hope into the opposite. Right. And to the opposite of that person, we we place our hope in into the, uh, the counter to that person that we believe is the Antichrist or the horseman of the apocalypse. We we think if it's someone from that party, then someone from this party is our salvation. This is the exact thing that John is warning us against. Who are these horsemen? It's those anyone who we are tempted to put our hope into. It's anyone that we feel like we can, put our, we can place our hope, our comfort and salvation into. Each of these horsemen aren't just one person in human history. The horsemen change over the years, but they are always those who claim worthiness, who demand your faithfulness and loyalty. They change, but they're always the same. The sixth seal brings judgment. And it is here that the revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling becomes known to all. And this is the words of that seal. Then the kings of the earth, the officials, the generals, the rich and powerful, everyone, slave and free. They hid themselves in caves and in rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of the one who is seated on the throne from the Lamb's wrath. The great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Another who question. Who? Who is able to stand? Who can stand? sounds like an impossible question. Who can stand in the presence of God who brings justice? And this is how chapter six ends. It's the ending of chapter six, who can stand? Again, we hear this question of who, who can stand? No one, we likely assume. No one can stand in the presence of this God. Much of our theology and reading of scripture and even some of our music wants us to think no one can stand no one is able to stand in the presence of this god we're all worms after all right that's the language of much of christianity's discussion of human nature we're pitiful we're worthless we can't stand but keep reading keep reading and the drama of revelation continues to surprise us surprising us in new ways chapter seven begins and this question of who is once again answered. Revelation 7 begins with this image of angels going throughout the world, marking the servants of God. We can't help but think about the what question again. What does it mean to be marked by the, 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 by the angels? And let's put a pen in that question. We're not going to get to it too much today. We're told in verse 4 that John hears the number of those being sealed. He hears, okay? Listen to this. Pay attention. He hears the number of those being sealed. And this is what we're told. If you you still have your Bibles, you can just look up just a little bit from where we've read earlier. You can glance there and you can see what John hears. John hears the number of those sealed. The number, exact number, 144,000. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the ones John hears. He hears that 144,000 are sealed. Those are the ones who can stand who can stand in the presence of this, of this wrath? There's this 12,000 from each tri- of the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000. It's not very, very many, is it? Kind of narrow amount of people who can stand in the presence of this wrath, isn't it? I mean, if we saw a crowd of 144,000, we probably would think, well, that's a, that's a ton of people. But in the grand scheme of creation, 144,000, that's not very many people at all. And then this 144,000, to to kind of narrow it just a little bit more, we're reminded it's all from Israel, from one people group of the entire world, 144,000. That's who can stand in the wrath of God. That's who are marked and able to stand. That's what John hears. But then, and if you're still with me, we finally arrive to our text that we've been looking at this morning that we've read. John turns and sees something different. He hears 144,000 all from one tribe of people. But what does John see? Does John see 144,000 people from the tribes of Israel? Oh, no. John doesn't just see 144,000 from Israel. John sees a great multitude, an uncountable multitude from every tribe and tongue and every nation and people. It's just like back in chapter five, John hears that there's a lion who is worthy, but when he turns, he actually sees a lamb. He hears that there's 144,000 able to stand in the presence of God from one group of people, but he turns and he learns what we sang about earlier, that there is a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's kindness in God's justice, which is what all of this is about, God's justice. There's kindness in God's justice that is more than liberty. It's so easy and tempting for us to make God's love narrow, as the song says, for our imaginations to assume that no one, and if anyone, only a few, 144,000 or so, can make it, can stand. But as the song continues to explain, God will not allow our limits to, to dictate his actions. So what are they doing? What is this great multitude doing, this uncountable multitude? Verse 9, they are standing. They're standing around the throne singing singing this song that salvation belongs to God, the God of the slaughtered lamb. Who can stand? Not just 144,000 and certainly not no one. Rather, an uncountable multitude is standing before the throne worshiping. Salvation belongs to our God, not to Rome, not to this nation or that nation. Salvation belongs to our God. Peace is brought by our God. Again, we hear that question, who? An elder asks John, who are these? Who are these that are able to stand? This uncountable multitude from all over the world, who are, who are they that can stand in front of God, the God of the universe? John says, you know, why don't you tell us? the elder explains that those who are standing are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. Yes, they're able to stand, but only because of the lamb. They've made, their white, they've made white their robes by drenching them in blood. What does that mean, though? What does it mean to be washed by the blood of the lamb? What does it mean? It means that they have participated in the life and death of Jesus They've joined Jesus in his life and his death. They have aligned themselves with the calls of Christ. That's where they have placed their hope, the cause of Christ. They've gone through the great ordeal. In other translations, you would read the tribulation. They've gone through the tribulation that is life on this earth where temptations abound, temptations to put their hope in nations and kings and money and power and conquest and war Temptations to seek salvation from systems and political ideologies of this world. Instead, though, they've remained faithful to the cause of Christ. Even in the face of rejection and temptation, they've stayed faithful. They've stayed faithful and they are sharing the victory of the Lamb. It is a vision beyond John's imagination. People from all over the world are standing before the God whom they have put their hope in. It is those who have faced the tribulation of the world just as Jesus did. It is those who resisted the temptation to join in the cycles of this violent world and power just as Jesus did. They stayed faithful to his cause. Who can stand? Those who stay faithful. Those who are aligned with the cause of Christ. Peace, not through violence, but through service. Life, not through conquest and domination, but through humility. That is who can stand. The cause of Christ breaks down any barriers that the world wants to put up. Barriers of nation and race, gender or status. That is the cause to which the great multitude stays faithful to. So the question for us becomes, will we be standing this Easter season? We've reflected on the hope of and reality of resurrection life that Christ has brought. It's too often thought that those who have been changed by this life will go untouched by the tribulation. Revelation makes it clear, though, that it is through the tribulation that they will go through it. One commentary I read said it this way. A common understanding is that the church, the real followers, are going to be swept away so as to escape all the pain and suffering. Really, though, John knows that any who really bear witness to the subversive power of the gospel, wherever they are, whenever they are, whoever they are, they will inevitably encounter tribulation rather than escape it. When we are faithful to the cause of Christ, not only will we experience the normal difficulties of living in this already not yet of the kingdom, where all things have not yet been made new, but on top of that, if we're truly committed to the cause of Christ, if we're truly living in that way, we're also going to experience rejection in this world. This world will not accept that salvation comes through faith. This world will not accept that security comes through surrender. This world will not accept that true power comes through sacrificial love and refusal to participate in the violence of our world. This world will not accept that tearing down boundaries instead of building boundaries is the way to true freedom. But this is the cause of Christ. Christ. And this is how we join that multitude where all boundaries are are torn down. To use the language of Paul, where there is no longer male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. The good news is that despite our experience of tribulation, despite our experience of suffering in this world, the lamb who came before us becomes our shepherd. The lamb becomes a shepherd. Like the psalm we read at the beginning of our service this morning, the shepherd leads us through the valley, leads us through the tribulation. It is in the valley that we find resurrection life, as a matter of fact. Or in the words of Psalm 23, it is in the valley that our cup runneth over, that our table is prepared before us. The good news of this text is that when we remain faithful to the cause of the lamb, the lamb will be our shepherd. We will know life. We will know the table prepared for us. We will be able to stand. And so I ask again, will you be standing? Our response time this morning will be a, a time of contemplation of that question and some others. Uh, praise team, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and come and begin playing. As they're coming, I'll, I want us to spend some time in prayer. We have altars here for, for um, kneeling. You can come and kneel here if, if that's how you would like to posture yourself. As you to consider this question of, will you be standing? Our response time. Um, I just we've been doing these intentional times of response, and 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 some weeks we have a communal response where we where we affirm something together, we pray something together, we come to the table together and take from this. But this is more of a personal time of response, a time for personal prayer and and contemplation and thinking, and so. Um, I want to begin by, by praying just a prayer for God to come and join us in this moment. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you with open hearts. We invite you to come and join us in, in the places that we are. We've gathered together, uh, but we, we also acknowledge that we are individuals, We are individuals with different experiences and different walks of life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would join us wherever we are and whatever journey, part of the journey that we are on. Maybe we're here each and every Sunday. Maybe we're not. We know that that you don't care about that so much as you care about our commitment. Our faithfulness going forward. And so we come from different places, different walks of life, different journeys. And we pray, Lord, would you join us? Would you come and search our hearts? Shine a light on our lives, all the corners of our lives. Help us to, to think closely, O oh Lord, in this time. Lord, help us to think about who we have put our hope and comfort and salva- for comfort and salvation? Who, O oh Lord, have we put our hope for comfort and salvation? Lord, we are so often tempted but our hope in worldly powers. And so, Lord, we pray, what worldly power have I looked to, have I placed my hope in for comfort and salvation? Lord, would you reveal to us would you reveal to me how have I attempted to escape tribulation? How have I attempted to escape the great ordeal that comes with being a follower of the Lamb? And finally, Lord, we see in this grand vision of a throne room, after all things have been made new, a a vast multitude, an uncountable multitude, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from all walks of life and experiences, from all situations, are worshiping you, are standing in your presence, worshiping This reveals that so central to the calls of Christ is a breaking of barriers that the world puts up and that we are so tempted to maintain. We're so much more comfortable when we have walls around us. Help us, oh God, reveal to us in what ways we have maintained barriers that the world puts up between us and others. For that is what keeps us from living into your kingdom, Lord. Would we, would you allow us, O oh God, to take this spirit of contemplation with us today? Help us, O oh God, to consider in what ways we have not fully surrendered to you into our week, O oh Lord, as we go out into the world and we face those temptations. Strengthen us, O oh God. And Lord, as we go from this place to celebrate our mothers, to mourn the loss of our mothers, to, to celebrate, to mourn, to cry, whatever it is that we are called to do, whatever our situation brings us, we give it to you. Lord, would you be with us, oh God. Amen. Let's sing this final song together.